Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged man playing adventure game books out loud on the internet. That middle-aged man is me, H.J. Doom, and this is another of the regular bonus episodes which are made possible by the generosity of my patrons at patreon.com forward slash H.J. Doom. Today I have the happy duty to thank two new patrons who generously put their hands in their pocket to support my nonsense. So thanks so much to Bill Ennis and J.M. Your largesse is deeply appreciated. Now last episode I mentioned I was writing an adventure game book of my own, which will be sent out to all my patrons at Christmas time. Work is proceeding well and I can now reveal that it's set in a very haunted house in England in the present day. If I keep up the current pace, I should have no issue with hitting the deadline, but I will, of course, keep you posted. Now, let's dive into this episode's offering, which is Steel Eye and the Lost Magic, which was published in 1987 by Ladybird Books. This was another book kindly supplied by my co-host on the Bella Lugosi's Shed horror podcast, Richard Devalmont. So many thanks to him, too, for making this episode possible. Like the He-Man gamebook which we covered a while back, this is a lavishly illustrated but short hardcover book aimed at younger readers. It was also notable for having a competition attached to it. So through the course of the adventure, we may find clues to a secret message and, in the unlikely event that I'm able to solve the secret message, and the even more unlikely event that I'm under 12, and this is 1987, I can then write in to have the chance to win a trip to Disney World. So, in some ways, the stakes have never been higher than on this particular podcast. I'm going to hold off discussion of the authors until the end, but it was devised by Roger Hurt, written by Jason Kingsley, with wonderful full-colour illustrations on every page by John Davis. So, without any further ado, let's dive in. So, first thing to say is that the art is fabulous, really, really good. Watercolour fantasy artwork, there's a wraparound design on the front and back cover, which features some kind of spidery thing, what I take to be a gnome or a dwarf, a castle, a raven, a unicorn, and on the back, some horrible lizard-looking fellows, and a fire-breathing dragon. And the inside covers are no less lavish. Another two-page spread, this one darker in theme. Yeah, it's just like all Ladybird books, it's a really, really pleasant object to have and to hold. Now, there's no real system for this book, it just says you will need a pencil and some paper and then go to section one. And you have to solve clues on your way to spout a message for Steel Eye the Raven. And if you solve the mysterious clues correctly, your message will describe a creature whose name Steel Eye must discover if he is to save the dying valley. With that minimal preamble and a little sadness that we don't have a combat system of any kind to discuss, let's dive into the opening scroll. So uh, the first page, double-facing page, and nice scroll, little sword, picture of a raven, very evocative. So the background. Once upon a time there was a valley where the sky was always blue. Birds sang in the green trees and clouds of butterflies danced over the summer flowers. On the hillside above, a crystal spring bubbled up through the grass. This was the spring of joy and it fed an enchanted stream that watered the valley and brought it life and happiness. 
Close by lived the guardian of the spring, an old, old wizard. Every dawn he chanted words of magic in his cracked old voice, and the enchanted stream continued to dance and sparkle in the sunlight. But one day the wizard fell sick and died, no longer with a magic word spoken every morning, and the spring began to fail. The valley became parched and dry. The trees and plants and flowers lost their strength and died. Most of the birds and butterflies flew away. The heart of the land ceased to beat. But the great grey raven stayed on in the valley. His name is Steel Eye. He is older than the valley itself, but there is still fire in his eyes as he circles over the valley and the forest beyond it. He is searching for the hero of destiny, which I guess would be me. I mean, there's no one else here. It's going to have to be me, unfortunately, for the valley. He is searching for the hero of destiny who will one day come over the mountains to help find the lost magic that can give life back to the dead valley. For an ancient legend of the valley tells of a creature who learned from the wizard the secret words of the lost magic, and it prophesies that one day a child, brave and determined, will discover who this creature is, or, alternatively, a middle-aged man, somewhat beaten down by life, will discover who this creature is. Then, Steel Eye will travel to the ends of the earth, if he must, to learn the secret for himself. Many heroes arrive, hoping to aid Steel Eye in finding the lost magic. When you opened this book and began to read, you became one of them. At this moment, Steel Eye, the great grey raven, is perched above you on the branch of a withered oak tree. He is croaking a message to you in his harsh voice, so uh, look forward to that. If you want to understand his message, you must turn to another section. Listen carefully to what Steel Eye tells you. His words will help you discover a secret message. It will help enable Steel Eye to recover the lost magic of the valley. So that's a nice, simple setup. Let's go on. Young warrior, croaks the Grey Raven. You may be that hero who will help to free our land from evil and give it life. Solve the clues that are scattered through the forest. They will contain a secret message, and you must tell me what it is. Without it, I can never hope to find the one creature in the world who could restore our dying valley with his magic lore. But how can I recognise these clues? you cry. And which way should I go? Who will help me? The enchanted sword called Gorin will protect you on your quest. The raven answers. Gorin is waiting for you now, if you care to take him from his resting place beneath this oak tree. And there is a, a picture of Gorin, which looks like, yeah, quite a nice, fancy, magical-looking sword. Creatures of the forest will meet you on your way. Some will help you, but others will be your enemies. My brothers will keep you on the right path when choices have to be made. Look for their signs. I can tell you no more. The raven says, opening his wings and beginning to fly away. But read the scroll I leave you, and take Gorin. As the great bird circles overhead, he drops a parchment scroll at your feet. A feather from his powerful wings flutters after it. You fall to your knees, and there, hidden beneath the gnarled root of the oak tree, you see Gorin in its great leather scabbard. Hastily strapping it round your waist, you pick up the scroll and the feather. You begin to walk towards the gloomy forest. So we have a scroll and a feather. Still haven't had the opportunity to make any kind of decision, but I'm sure that will come. Into the forest we go. 
Sitting down on a fallen tree trunk, you unfold the parchment and begin to study it. On it are written the following strange words. Words hide initially. This enigma boldly emphasises a rule. Do learn its eventful secret. What are the words that hide, you wonder? Still puzzling it on, you walk until you reach a forest clearing. Five paths lead out of it, and you must take one of them. So, we have a clue. Words hide initially. This enigma boldly emphasises a rule. Do learn its eventful secret. I mean, does that mean words hide in the initials of something? No, because if I apply that to the message, this enigma boldly emphasises a rule becomes Tabea. And do learn its eventful secret becomes Dlis. So that's that's no good. It could be a word hiding at the start of a word. So, like eventful, that's a strange choice of word. Um, it could be that the word event or even is can be made from the start of that word. Okay, this may be completely and totally wrong. I think that the word even is hidden in the word eventful and that this is telling me I need to pick one of the even-numbered paths. So that's what I'm going to do. I've got a choice of five. Second or fourth is the obvious one to go for. So we will go for the second path and see where that leads us. Brambles clutch at your legs as you push your way along the narrow path. Ahead, you see a patch of blackness on the dark forest floor. Could be a deep pit or a pool or a swamp. You cannot tell what it is. Do you want to leap over it or go around the edge? I guess I will go around the edge because me and leaping do not get on very well. The old knees aren't what they were. Uh, yeah, we will we'll go around the edge. As you edge by the patch of darkness, it begins to bubble furiously. Then it erupts. But the inky liquid does not splash you. You sprint away, out of range, then pause while you decide what to do next. So we're going to go either left or right. So we always go left, first chance we get. You don't at first notice the high, ivy-covered wall ahead of you. Then suddenly you see it and start back in surprise. Two gates are set into the wall, one of copper, one of iron. A white-bearded dwarf is standing between them, and he gives a friendly grin as you approach. He tells you, the copper gate isn't the one you want. It's only for the proud, as you will see if you look at it. You want the iron gate. I mean, do we ignore the riddling advice of a dwarf? Only for the proud. I mean, I don't think of myself as a particularly prideful character, so I guess I will follow his advice and take the Iron Gate. Again, I feel as though there is a, a riddle in there that I'm just completely failing to even properly notice. The elemental symbol for copper is CU, which does kind of speak to looking. This is going to take forever if I carry on trying to riddle these out in real time. So, um, iron is FE. Hmm. Yeah, we'll go with the iron, the iron Gate. Who am I to uh, ignore the advice of a friendly dwarf? You look at the iron gate and see the words, the arrogant, woven into its decoration. Wondering what that means, you push the gate open and pass into a garden that lies beyond it. Soon, your path is blocked by a dense hedge of roses. Okay, I feel as I've already made a terrible mistake. But we're here now, and we're going to go right. 
The path you have chosen goes through a tunnel formed by the tall rose bushes. Overhead, clusters of orange-coloured grapes are hanging from their vines and you look at them thirstily. And as you move to pick some, a giant white rabbit brandishing a double-headed axe springs into your path. You open your mouth to speak to him. Deeds, not words. He snarls and lunges at you with the axe. You dodge the blow and wrench Gorin from its scabbard. The rabbit strikes again, but you catch him off balance and knock him over with the flat of your sword. Before he can recover, Gorin's blade strikes his neck. There is a flash and a shower of sparks, and the rabbit disappears. So, we've tried to murder a rabbit, but to be fair, the rabbit tried to murder us first. There is an illustration of the rabbit, and it does look pretty menacing, I have to say. It's not a rabbit I personally would want to mess with. It feels as though everything that happens has a certain kind of puzzly weight to it. So, deeds, not words. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I feel like this has been deliberately written in a sort of abstruse, recondite style in order to make people like me puzzle over every single word. Anyway, the shock of the vicious attack leaves you trembling. After your horrifying experience, you go on into the garden, still following the paved pathway. You want to run, for you are afraid, but you try and keep calm. Then you notice strange symbols cut deep into mossy slabs. This is what the symbols tell you. I, X, V, X, X, I, 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 V, X, I, I, V, I, X, V, I, 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 X, V, X, I, 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 X, X, V, I, 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 V, V, I, X, V, I, 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 X, X, V, I, 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 X, X I X I X I V X X V I mean that is amazing podcasting content right there. Uh, who who isn't delighted by a series of Roman numerals being read out by a middle-aged man who really should be doing something more productive with his life? Okay, I assume this is some kind of letter substitution cipher. So instead of pausing to roll some dice, I'm going to pause to see if I can solve the letter substitution cipher. I'm going to think some thoughts. I have thought some thoughts. I have solved the letter substitution cipher, which reads a jewel from the earth is a key, which feels suitably clue-like. So uh, I can continue walking. I've got a left-right decision. Uh, let's go left. As you walk, the very air begins to shimmer. You know there is magic in it. Then the magic power, whatever it is, takes hold of you. And suddenly, you seem to be in a dream, standing on a white marble pedestal in the centre of a bed of roses. As you look up, the air trembles and you begin to fly. You fly through the shimmering air, but quite soon you are set down gently upon the ground. An old woman confronts you, wearing a green robe the colour of her eyes. Is she friend or foe? She speaks to you, but her words are puzzling. They call me Old Emma, she says. But I say it sounds better backwards. Still, my young hero, you'll get the precious word, won't you? I'll help you on your way. She waves a wrinkled hand and you find yourself standing on a path just at the point where it forks to the left and right. So there's some kind of word there. 
and then I can get am out of it by the uh, the rule that the the scroll gave us that the words may be hidden or me you can get out of Emma if it's hidden in the front of the word but sounds better backwards but why the old if that's the case is this just crossword clues is this just cryptic crossword clues is that what I'm doing am I trying to solve cryptic crossword clues which I don't know how to solve on the internet out loud I really should start taking a good look at the life choices I've made. Anyway, let's take a left turn and see what happens. You are walking along a path when, with a blood-chilling yell, a chimera leaps upon you. It has a lion's head, a serpent's tail, and the body of a goat. There is a picture of the chimera, which the uh, illustrator, whose work is fabulous, is fabulous, has slightly cowardly, just on the lion's head, without trying to attach it to any of the other bits. Its sharp hooves drum on your chest. Its tail stabs you again and again. You stab from below with Gorin. And gradually, the terrifying beast melts away into the air. You walk on with a shudder. Do with a sort of life point system, I feel like, at the very least. So that there's some punishment for getting mauled by a chimera. The path winds its muddy way through the wood whose trees are dripping with water from the rain that seems perpetually to fall upon them. But your journey through the gloomy wood proves worth the effort because it brings you to a magical sight. A lake of shimmering water lies before you. And there, standing proudly on a huge water lily pad, is the shimmering unicorn of Emerald. Old Emma backwards. Emma old. Emerald. Which is a jewel from the earth. I think that's right. I think we can trust the emerald got a nice picture of the emerald green unicorn the noble beast fixes you it's it's crying in the picture i guess it must be crying in the text as well the noble beast fixes you with a gaze of terrifying power yet its speech is gentle the land is dying young hero it says you alone could save it if you were strong and brave its wounds need tending that without colour spells danger trust the brothers of the rainbow. Trust Gorin. Trust Steloy's words. If you are wise and brave and have luck on your side, the heart of the land may beat again. Go now across the lake, but first I give you my protection. A great tear rolls down the unicorn's green muzzle. Cup your hands and catch it, he cries. To your surprise, the tear is solid and warm in the palm of your hand. You prepare to walk over the lily pads which are spread like stepping stones leading in two separate paths across the water. We can choose the first lily pad or the second lily pad or we can swim. So uh, the second, I guess, because it's all about the even numbers we decided earlier. Quickly and lightly you step from pad to pad. The mists that hide the shore ahead begin to lift and you can just make out the shape of a great castle. You realise the lake is really a moat. There's a little picture of the great castle. It's very dark and sinister looking, I don't mind admitting. But on we go towards it. Splat! At your feet lands a rubbery creature, something like a frog. Its throat is pulsing and vibrating, and it is trying to get you a message. This is what you hear. Yeet! Irut ak! Si hate! Yek! 
The strange messenger leaves you, hopping and bounding as it skims across the water. So, uh, its words are backwards. So what it's actually saying is, the creature is the key. So I guess we follow it. Stepping onto dry land, you walk towards the castle gateway. Barring your path is a creature with an eagle's head and a lion's body. The mighty griffin looks you up and down and then utters in a deep voice, Pass, friend. Beyond the gateway, to your left, is a wooden door. To your right is a passage. I want to go down a passage or through the door. Well, who can look at a door without wondering what's on the other side of it? We'll go through the door. You push the door, and as it opens, you see that a message is carved in the wood. It reads, The amulet rings true. Then the words are gone. You rub your eyes in disbelief. Did you dream the words? You shut the heavy door behind you and find yourself facing three sets of stairs. You cannot see what lies beyond them. So step, we can go one, two, or three. We're going to go for two. Stick into the rules. Your senses are screaming danger. Then, in the silence, you hear a low howl followed by a sniffing noise. Cautiously, making as little noise as possible, you take Gorin from its scabbard. Suddenly, a monstrous shape looms up before you, its eyes glowing white with fire. It makes a leap for your throat. There's a picture of the creature, which is... Um, I'll call it sort of generically monstrous, but that makes it sound like it's rubbish. It's actually quite nice. It's sort of red with these staring yellow eyes and these big sharp claws. Yeah, it's, it's a nice enough monster. It makes a leap for your throat, but Gorin's keen edge easily slices through the monster's neck. Yet the beast does not die. It gives an unearthly howl and gradually fades from sight. On the ground before you lies a red amulet, and you quickly realise that the beast had been wearing it round its neck. Gorin has cut through the cord. You wonder whether to leave the amulet there, or to pick it up and examine it. Apart from the amulet, there is no sign of the creature who attacked you. On an impulse, you pick up the amulet and study it. On one side is inscribed the words, Trust Steel Eyes Brothers. On the other side is the message, Thrice Armour Speaks Key. You put the amulet in your backpack and press on into the darkness. Just round the next corner, you come upon a red door. Opening it, you see as it leads to a red courtyard, but next to the door is an amber-coloured archway. So the amulet rings true. I mean, that suggests that the red is the right one, doesn't it? We'll go with the red. We'll go with the red. A peacock struts in the red courtyard, its cries echoing raucously in your ears. The courtyard glows strangely as you walk through the arch and into a cobbled yard. A stone fountain is playing in the centre of the courtyard. Its centrepiece the statue of a man-bull. To your amazement, the statue stretches and yawns, its huge mouth gaping. At last, roars the Minotaur. I'm tired of being a statue. Why have you been so long? I am your friend. Though I may not look it, I have one word for you. The word is cherishes. As you watch, the spray from the fountain begins to dwindle and the statue fades away to nothing. Then you notice a pair of double doors on one side of the courtyard and cross towards them. Okay, cherishes. The doors are made of mahogany and they open smoothly at a push. A staircase lies behind them and boldly you make your way up into the darkness above. Suddenly, a shower of wriggling creatures falls upon your head. Hundreds of tiny, luminous white snakes are writhing all over your body. You try and shake them off, but without success. Then you draw Gorin, and as the mighty sword hisses from its scabbard, the snakes retreat and disappear into the gloom. There's a uh, picture of 
thousands or hundreds of snakes and worms falling out of some unseen alcove and uh, yeah it's simple but it's it's remarkably effective at making my skin crawl you race on up the stairs and discover that they curve up to a wide landing ahead of you are two leather padded doors to the left and right of the doors are more flights of stairs you must make your choice so you can go left flight or left door right flight or right door um take the left flight i guess the staircase, decorated with delicately carved bird shapes, leads upwards into a dizzying spiral. You begin to climb, and halfway you notice that each step in the staircase is carved with a numeral. You race back down and study the carvings as you ascend for a second time. This is what you find. Yeah, I am. I am going to read out the Roman numerals again. I feel like it's probably funnier the second time I do it. I could be wrong, but we're going to find out. I... X-V-I-I, X-I-V, X-I-X, V-I-I, I-V, X-V-I-I, X-V-I-I-I, X-I-V, V. X-V-I, X-V-I-I, I-V. So it's another word substitution cipher. Sort of like the shipping report, isn't it? You know, just, just something completely meaningless to most people. If anyone can do letter substitution ciphers in their heads from Latin numerals, on the other hand, like, that skill has just come in really handy. So, once again, I'm going to think some thoughts. Okay, I am pretty certain that the numerals do correspond to letters, but what you get is... A sequence of largely meaningless letters. Uh, so it goes A Q N S G D Q R N E R S E E K D X D etc. And I've thought about it for a bit, for quite a while actually, longer than I'd like to really admit, and I can't make any kind of head nor tail of it. I feel as though there must have been a clue earlier on. I missed. I mean, is it something to do with cherishes? I don't know. I don't know. This this book aimed at the under-12s is doing a very good job of making a man over 40 feel like an idiot. There is a long, narrow room ahead of you. It is thick with cobwebs, but you slash through them with Gorin's blade. As you reach the centre of the cobweb maze, there is a hiss and a whoosh. You look up to see a giant spider rushing down through the webs towards you. It moves with amazing speed, throbbing and pulsating as it goes, its jaws clashing menacingly. You leap to avoid the spider's jaws of death and strike with Gorion, cutting off one of the arachnid's legs. With a scream of pain, the spider pauses, then turns and scuttles away into the thick curtain of its cobwebbed lair. So, uh, there's a picture of the spider. It doesn't look like a very realistic spider, but it is covered with an excessive number of eyes. Too many eyes. I think somehow that's almost worse than an actual spider's face. I do not care for spiders. Still, onwards. Beyond the cobwebs, the room is piled high with rubbish. You walk the length of the room until you spy a door almost hidden by a faded tapestry, showing bees gathering honey. You seem to hear the bees speaking to you in a low-pitched hum. The queen is telling you to go through the door and turn left, while the workers are telling you to go through the door and turn right. Monarchical hierarchies are inevitably corrupt. True power within any civilization vests with those who do the actual work, so we will listen 
to the worker bees. Your chosen route takes you into a high chamber, dark and gloomy. There is a fluttering at the window as a bird beats its wings against the grimy panes of glass. Your heart is in your mouth at the sound of iron clanking behind you. Turning quickly, you find a suit of rusty armour at your back. The lost! The lost! The lost! It groans and falls to pieces with a great clatter. Now, there was something earlier about armours and what it said being a key three times. And it says a key three times. But I don't know what that means at all in any way, shape or form. So we'll just go left. I feel like this is starting to get away from me a little bit, to be honest. You make your way along a chamber, wondering what the next danger will be. You soon find out. A great white bat comes swooping down, aiming for your throat, and you have to dive for the floor to avoid its cruel fangs. To your horror, the floorboards collapse under your weight, and you are falling into what seems like endless night. You thud against some kind of slope, then slither further down into the darkness. You find that you have landed against a clump of thorny bushes. Mm. Very dreamlike, this narrative. It's very, very hard to get any kind of sense of what's, what's going on, because things just seem to happen at random. Which I don't think is a problem, necessarily, but it is definitely an aesthetic. You scramble to your feet, scratched and torn by the thorns. You are standing in soft mud. You peer about you, but can see nothing in the darkness. You must go on, but which way? The darkness is total, and you have no means of finding your way forward. Then you remember the unicorn's tear. As you hold it in your hands, a flame begins to glow within it, and soon the whole chamber is lit by its clear, pale blue light. You can now see that five dark tunnels lead out of the pit you are in. They are set high up, and you must climb to reach them. Now I'm going to go for the third on the basis... I don't know. The armour said something three times. <laughs> just, just grasping at straws here, I really am. Uh, I hope that there's someone at home just yelling at me for failing to find ridiculously obvious clues. Yeah, it would make me quite happy to think that there was someone out there who was just going, well, clearly the solution to this particular riddle is obvious. Your confidence is at a low ebb. You can say that again. Then you remember that Steel Eye is relying on you. You take from your pocket the feather that fell from his wing, and the touch of it reassures you. With renewed hope, you decide to press on. The tunnel is low and wide, with rough steps cut into the floor. At the end is a low door. You open it, and instantly the air is filled with eerie voices, all whispering the single word, Magic! over and over again. As you walk through the door and into a passageway, the voice fades away. Um, you can go ahead or you can turn back. Well, I mean, I'm here to try and find some magic, so I guess I will press on. It leads to a narrow spiral staircase which winds upwards towards a high domed chamber that seems to quiver with life. There is a rustling sound. And there is also, in this room, the sound of a cat, for which I apologise. It is the noise of birds in leafy branches. As your eyes become accustomed to the gloom, you realise that a dark brown figure is standing in the middle of the chamber. You realise that the high chamber is filled with the green foliage of a single tree whose great bark-covered trunk is thick with age. Then you hear the sound of a rich, rustling voice. I am green leaf, it says. I am yellow leaf. I am the whole life of the forest. I am the king. 
you kneel before the huge tree, awed by the majesty into whose presence you have come. But the king's lined face breaks into a twiggy smile. Do not be afraid, he says. I shall not harm you. You have come so far to help Steel-Eye find his lost magic. Climb to the roof of the tower and speak what has to be spoken. Uh, do you want to climb up to the window in the high chamber or allow yourself to be lifted by the king? I mean, who am I to ignore the sage advice of a tree that has either declared itself to be king of the trees or inherited the mantle of king of the trees from a progenitor tree? We will, we will climb up under our own steam. You wriggle through a tiny window set high in the wall of the chamber. Be brave, cries the tree spirit, as you clamber through and begin to climb the ivy on the outside wall of the castle towards the roof. A bat suddenly bursts out of a cranny in the stonework. You try and keep your grip, but the flurry of its wings has made you lose your balance. Slowly you begin to topple towards the courtyard far below. Over and over you spin, hurtling towards the ground far below. As the wind whistles around your ears, you seem to hear the croak of a raven. And you remember the feather that fell from Steel-Eye's wing. You pull it out of your pocket, calling, Save me, Steel-Eye! Suddenly, you are gliding towards the top of the tower, saved by the power of Steel-Eye. You circle the tower and manage to land on its roof. There, cut into one of the battlements, is a final message. Your quest is over, hero, it reads. Shout out your message and wait for help to set you on your journey home. You look up and there is Steel-Eye hovering above you. Excited now, you shout the message he has waited for so long to hear. That message being, I'm very sorry, I got distracted and confused and I've got no idea what message I was supposed to be shouting to you. I hope that by some miracle, this incoherent ramble is the very message I was supposed to solve. Then he speeds away, croaking his thanks to find the creature who can tell him how to restore the heartbeat of his land, and I'm guessing that's by finding another better hero. As he disappears from your sight, the air around you is filled with the sound of beating wings. A giant butterfly, all the colours of the rainbow, lands by your side. It folds its wings and offers you its back to take you from the tower. You feel a sudden tiredness. Don't I just? And are glad to climb onto the butterfly's back. He takes to the air, hovers for a moment, then flies with tremendous speed towards the mountain pass through which you came when you first journeyed through the valley. If you are the hero of destiny, then you are flying above a valley that will soon be restored to life by the spring of joy. And in your mind's eye, you can see the sparkle of the enchanted stream as it dances in the sunshine. In your imagination, the forest above which you are riding is fresh and green, carpeted with bluebells. But you have reached the mountains and the valley is already lost to your sight. The butterfly sets you down gently and as you turn to thank him, his colours fade away until he dissolves like any rainbow on a day of sun and showers. Your part for the quest for the lost magic is over. It doesn't say, and you have failed, but rest assured, I have failed. Well, that was Steel-Eye and the Lost Magic. Uh, certainly an interesting and different take on the adventure game book. I'm going to be back in just a few minutes with some closing thoughts. 
that has to be one of the most surreal game books I think I've ever played. There's a genuine sense that absolutely anything might happen, from weeping green unicorns to psychotic rabbits. It commits to things happening. Suddenly a spider attacks you. You almost die, but you don't. Now on to the next section where someone will ask you to solve a simple but cryptic crossword clue. Perhaps you'll come across a letter substitution cipher on the floor. Perhaps some armour will shout at you. Whatever happens, know that it will have absolutely no dramatic heft and will be resolved in about 50 words. It's a very strange little book. After some research, I'm still not quite sure that I fathom the intent behind it. The structure is bizarre, seemingly quite open, but repeatedly ferrying you to specific points. The puzzles range from the simple to the genuinely obtuse, and having looked into them a bit more, I think my failures can be blamed on a mixture of dyslexia, which interacts very poorly with some of the puzzles, overthinking some puzzles which are actually so simple they barely qualify, and of course good old-fashioned stupidity. What's interesting is that there are a number of possible messages you can decode from the book depending on the choices you make. So on a subsequent and better informed playthrough, I was able to decode the message, the good ruby dragon possesses the lost sorcery. But had I made different choices, I could easily have ended up with the wise emerald bear cherishes the secret spell. Now some of those choices are hinted, strongly hinted, to be wrong. The opening scroll warns people capable of reliably putting letters in the right order, which isn't me, that the dwarf in front of the two doors is a liar. This suggests that one of the opening parts of the phrase you'll encounter will be right and the other will be wrong, except that there's two different versions of that meeting with the dwarf, which gives you two different right answers, depending on which version of the encounter you get. Does that mean they're both right? If only one is right, how did the competition designers differentiate between them? Or maybe they're all right, and everything just goes into the massive top hat that I assume Ladybird used to select a winner. That last option would perhaps have been the fairest, given that most youngsters are going to assume that the first complete phrase they get is the right one, but really I have no idea. Structurally, this is somewhat constrained by the nature of the book being a competition. You've got a lot of choices, but you've got no less than six obligatory nodes which dole out words. So most of the rest of the book is merely choosing the route you go to get between these nodes. And there are some really imaginative encounters along the way, but aside from the puzzles, they're mostly just window dressing because there isn't enough space to develop any side areas. That highly constrained design space is what forces the author to introduce threats and then resolve them all in a single paragraph, without any battle system or indeed any failure state at all. There's not much else you can do because you've got to be getting the player through to the next word delivery point sooner rather than later. It's not possible to die or fail in a conventional sense with this book, although obviously you can get what may or may not be the wrong message. And that sense that you're always going to make it to the final paragraph kind of undermines any sense of agency because agency is more than about the freedom to make choices. It's about your choices having consequences and it, it sort of doesn't feel like that's what's going on. I probably shouldn't be whinging about the fact that it's impossible not to get to the end given my abysmal track record of finishing adventure game books, but hey, here I am doing just that. Now, 
I've been somewhat critical there, but I do think that the quality of the art in this book really elevates the experience. I said the same thing about the He-Man Adventure game book published by Ladybird and indeed the same creative team. And I'm saying it again now, having full colour art on every page makes reading this an absolute visual delight. The art is quite cartoony, but it's full of character and it brings so many of those bare bones encounters to life. The author's clearly written it in such a way that there's plenty of good visuals to work with, and the artist has brought them to life so vividly. I think I'd have absolutely loved this as a child, and even as a grown-up, it's hard not to be charmed by how well-produced this book is. As an exercise in adventure game book design, it's something of a bust. There's just not enough space to do everything this book wants to do. But as an object, it's simply wonderful. One thing that's intriguing about Steel Eye and the Lost Magic is the sense of mild mystery surrounding the authors. It was devised by Roger Hurt, who seems to have contributed to a couple of other adventure game books, as well as writing some books on his own, mostly trying to enthuse children about maths. But anything more solid is hard to find. The main author, Jason Kingsley, was also a little tricky to pin down, there is a Jason Kingsley, who is the CEO of the software company Rebellion, which also publishes my beloved 2000 AD comics. He's either a classic British eccentric or a classic overgrown man-child, and he has a deep and abiding love of medieval history, to the extent that he jousts for fun. He would have been about 23 when this came out. He's got exactly the right background to have written it. If it was him, and it probably was, I think he's done pretty well for himself in the intervening years. John Davis, the illustrator, shares a name with a comic book artist, uh, which caused some confusion when I was first trying to look into him, but he appears to have worked steadily in children's literature over the years, and that's just nice to see. One final thing is that the inside cover states that the publishers would like to thank Joan Collins for her help on the book. We have to assume that it's not the Star of Dynasty, but it adds another level of confusion to the mix, which feels appropriate for this book that's oddly slippery. Well, that's all for this bonus episode. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks once again to my patrons for making these bonus episodes possible. I'll be back sooner rather than later with the next fighting fantasy book, which is Rebel Planet. It's another sci-fi one I didn't play first time around, so I'm very much looking forward to playing it. I hope you'll join me then. Take care, and I'll see you soon.